Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast, right here on Arseblog.com in what has been a fairly momentous week for Arsenal Football Club, and not much of that has got to do with what happened on the pitch. Now, I know there are those of you out there who will say, I just can't believe he's downplaying a 3-1 away win against the mighty Blackpool. And maybe you have a point, but as awesome and wonderful as that was, there are other things that happened this week that will shape the future of the club for years and years to come. And obviously, we'll be covering those between now and the end of the show. Joining me in a few moments' time will be Amy Lawrence from The Observer. A small announcement, no internet Joe this week. Apparently, someone banjaxed his router, and he is epileptic with rage. So uh, we can only hope that he gets things sorted between now and the next show. Let's start with football, because that's uh, altogether more simple than everything else that went on. And, um, well, we won, and that's good. It had been some time since our last three points, and we looked good, really good at times, and bad, really scarily, quite scarily, not bad, but just shaky, and all over the place at others. The start of the game, not so good. Until halftime, really very good indeed. We opened up Blackpool at will, beat the offside trap. Had Robin Van Persie not been made out of hard concrete or something, the way the ball was bouncing off him, we might have been three or four or five nil up at halftime. As it was, we do what Arsenal did and let in a goal and then went, ah! <laughs> and panicked. Um, and Blackpool really gave everything in that time. And the one thing I would say is that after everything that's happened to us in the last few months, we actually got a little bit of luck. Because there could easily have been a penalty to uh, Blackpool. Jens Lehmann, a, a ref, with a quicker whistle, could easily have blown and sent Jens Lehmann off. And given what happened with Manuel Almunia, we had no reserve keeper on the bench, and that would have meant Robin Van Persie going in goal. And as much as we like to uh, castigate referees for being wankers which many of them are, let's face it. You have to give credit to Lee Mason for what happened uh, for the Blackpool goal. Firstly, he played an advantage after a Wilshire foul, and then he played advantage when Lehman took down the man. And um, had he not done that, it could have been much, much worse. So uh, well done, Lee Mason. Until the next time you do something that makes us all think you're a wanker. Um, and we were rattling, but we got a little bit of luck. And you have to say that it's, it's a little bit overdue, that we haven't had any luck, only bad luck in recent times, and if he missed a penalty decision, well then, fine. I'm quite happy with that, because we've had all the bits and pieces that have gone against us, and, you know, we've stoically accepted that, without complaint, without bitching, without going mental, without shrieking our nuts off on Twitter or anything like that. 
We've just accepted it and moved on. And that's what Blackpool should do. Accept it and move on. And then we got the third goal, and it really was a very, very good goal indeed. Because when the ball, after the Scalacci tackle, was down in that corner and Diaby was Diabbying with it, I was going, no, don't do that, don't, just kick it up, the, don't do not no, you'll get caught, you'll be clichéd. But he uh, wriggled away from his marker, and, and the uh, the football that followed really was fantastic. The ball from Sesk to Theo to Robin, who even he couldn't miss then. And 3-1, and that was about that. And three points that were very, very badly needed, given everything that had come in the last few weeks. Not exactly uh, the kind of performance that will build confidence straight away, but taking three points is certainly welcome and will help as we go into these uh, final games of the season. So, then... On Monday, well, maybe that evening after the Blackpool game, there were reports that Stan Kroenke was about to take over the club and there was a bit of bewilderment about why it was all happening and that became clear, obviously, later in the week. And now we are 62.83-something percent owned by Stan Kroenke. And I think think it's inevitable. I think it's sad in a way. And I know a lot of people feel like they've lost a a bit of a connection with the club, and there's an air of inevitability about a takeover. The smaller shareholders are boosted by the fact that Ali Sharuzmanov is refusing to sell his stake in the club, and that means that those fans who hold shares in the club can maintain them. Um, I'm not quite sure where the perception of uh, Kroenke, had he got 90%, was immediately going to buy them all up. That's a, that's a worry and a threat, regardless of whether it was Kroenke or anybody else. Uh, that they could take full control, 100% control of the club. I don't think anybody wants to see that. The painting of Usmanov as a white knight of some kind uh, didn't really sit right with me at all. Um, regular readers and listeners will know that when Mr. Usmanov first came to the club, there was some rather heavy-handed lawyering done on his part towards Arsblog, and all I did was link to some material that's freely available on Google. Now, um, the concerns that I had then are not at all eased. Um, I still have grave concerns about the character of of that guy and what he's done and how he's done it. Um, and for me, if we're in a position where it has to be one or the other, and I think it was getting to the point where it did have to be one or the other, Kroenke is by far the best option. He's worked with the board, and I think we know from everything that's happened in the last week um, that Danny Fisman was a man who loved Arsenal Football Club a great deal and who worked so hard to get us to the new stadium. I don't think you could ever, and I've never heard anyone question his integrity, never question that anything he did wasn't for the benefit of Arsenal Football Club. And I think that if he has decided, and uh, I think it's fairly obvious that he did, that Stan Kroenke was the best man to maintain Arsenal Football Club in the years ahead then we kind of have to trust that. I think it would have been very different for me and for many fans if Ali Sharuzmanov had taken over, regardless of who he had on board, who might be held in reasonable regard by Arsenal fans, some Arsenal fans. 
It's been a week in which um, everybody said the right things, from the manager to Stan Kroenke to Peter Hillwood to everybody associated with the club and the deal said the right things. So we have uh, Stan Kroenke's assurance that uh, the debt won't be put on the club, and we know from discussions that uh, the AST have had that this is not going to be the case, and smaller shareholders can take uh, and maintain their shares in the club for sentimental reasons and not financial ones, and, and that's a good thing. But when it comes right down to it, for me, there was a straight choice between Kroenke and Uzmanov. It had to be, had to be Kroenke. Uzmanov would have changed too much about the club for me. And I know that people are a little bit disconnected from the arsenal that they grew up with and everything else. Um, and change is always weird and scary in every walk of life. But I think the best chance we have of maintaining uh, the traditions, the Arsenal way of doing things uh, is with Stan Kroenke rather than uh, than Ali Sharuzmanov. Uh, and the other uh, big event this week, of course, was uh, the passing of Danny Fisman, uh, director at the club, a huge Arsenal fan. And I think it shows uh, the measure of regard in which he was held uh, and the sort of class that Arsenal Football Club have uh, the ceremony yesterday, which named uh, the bridge after Danny Fisman, and also Ken Fryer, a man who has worked uh, with Danny Fisman, worked at the club since 1950. Um, I think it's a reward uh, for the hard work they put in and uh, a way of ensuring that, regardless of the fact we'll look at the stadium and remember Danny Fisman, that that bridge uh, will bear his name um, in decades and decades to come. So there you go. Anyway, as I said, no internet, Joe, this week, uh, but with me, to discuss all the various bits and pieces is Amy Lawrence from The Observer. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you doing? Um, can we start with Danny Fisman, who passed away this week, um, a hugely respected member of the Arsenal board and a man who has left behind, in more ways than one, a really great legacy? Well, that's absolutely right uh, on two counts. One, he was a really top man, and uh, anybody who was lucky enough to bump into him around the scene, he was always a gentleman. He wasn't someone who courted publicity, so unlike some directors at certain clubs, um, you wouldn't see him too often voicing off about this or that, but he ha he really had his heart in the right place and was a good guy, and I think going around over the best part of 20 years as a figure in um, football circles, he would have been uh, someone that projected a nice image of Arsenal. But but equally importantly um, to that, certainly as far as fans are concerned, there's no way that Arsenal would be where they are today without him, quite literally. Um, there was a massive uh, uh, dilemma, if you like, when the club took the unanimous view to move from Highbury in search of um, a bigger operation. And uh, the dilemma was to basically boiled down to go to somewhere like Wembley and uh, be a tenant, um, look at or look at further afield, perhaps out and towards the M25. That was an idea that was mooted at certain stages, or the desire to stay um, in the uh, in the roots of the club um, in M5. And Danny uh, was instrumental in the fact that you know the new stadium is. Um, spitting distance from Highbury um, is still in, you know, everybody still has their same routines. And because he wasn't a, a big figure, like I said, who who talked a lot and who appeared a lot publicly, people don't realise that he basically gave six years of his life um, to the project. Him and Ken Fryer worked 
every day and every night on if you can imagine what it takes to move house and mm. buy and sell a property um, and multiply that by that a thousand that's probably the kind of work that was involved for them they had to liaise with everybody and organizations not just architects and and estate agents and and the financial you know uh, side of things but with transport for London with police with you know you name it they were involved in making this thing happen and it was an enormous project to which he really dedicated quite a large chunk of his life with no financial um, payment at the time because directors uh, at Arsenal have not been taking money for what they do um, mainly over the last you know few years so it was a labour of love for him and I think everybody associated with Arsenal has to be grateful for that I think he's uh, definitely got to be a man who'll be remembered long into the uh, long into the history of this football club. Obviously, it went uh, a long way to explain some of the uh, events earlier in the week. Uh, his share sale, the share sale of Lady Nina uh, to Stan Kroenke. Um, generally speaking, what are your thoughts? Because um, I know a lot of people sort of have concerns uh, that many English football clubs are fall, falling into foreign ownership, and I do that with inverted commas um is it just something that's inevitable because these are are big operations in probably the most high profile football league in the world and generally they're public companies it's just something that football fans are going to have to get used to well i think it's interesting that probably we have got used to it and by that i mean that there hasn't been a massive amount of gnashing of teeth or jumping up and down singing hurrah as a result of this um takeover because if it had happened five or ten years ago I think there would have been much more emotional reaction from Arsenal fans but in the end everybody has um, seen what's been going on and you, you know that you're you're fighting against the tide if you think you're going to live in the same kind of environment that, uh, that football clubs had for hundreds of years prior to the last decade or so of massive change um, look at the size of the club and how much it's, it's changed and I guess this thing it's not like a surprise it's not like you woke mm. up one morning and Arsenal had been taken over it's been slowly and gradually happening which is why I don't think most people at the moment are too worked up one way or the other about it and the fact that Cronky has been on the board for the last four years obviously means that everybody's been able to get used to it and he's probably been, been able to get used to it as well um, I guess at this stage that the, the, my my biggest concern really is that he might be uh, a fantastic. He might turn out to be a fantastic owner and um, stand by his word not to borrow against the club and take too much money at the club. And but once once the club is owned by or majority owned by uh, by an individual, the minute that they want to sell out, you don't know what's around the corner and what's mm-hmm. coming next. So. Even though uh, everybody's probably quite hopeful that Cronky will continue to run the club um, well and true to the kind of ideas that the board have been going on about uh, since they've started to be a bit more ambi- ambitious, which coincided really with the beginning of the Wenger era, um, you, you, you just don't know what's around the corner, be it in two, five, ten or twenty years' time if, if the time comes for him to sell to the next person. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I guess one of the fundamental differences about what lies ahead, um, and uh, you know, it's pertinent at the moment in a way with what with the situation with Danny is, Arsenal were so lucky to have a situation 
where the board was really full of um, an excellent mix of people that bought special things to the table. Mm. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when, at the beginning of the Venga era, when there was such great success, um, there was a really a really good balance of what people at board level brought. Obviously, you had David Dean, who um, brought so much success uh, in terms of helping get the right players in when you think about the Bergkamps and Ormies and Vieiras and etc. And these deals just seem to happen so smoothly, com- you know, compared to how they did, how they, how difficult it seems to be now. Um, and then off the field, the fact that you had Danny, who came from an entrepreneurial background, again, helping out Ken Fryer, who'd been at the club forever in terms of the stadium. You had Richard Carr, who's overseeing youth development, who has a legal background, and he could bring that to the table. You had Peter Hillwood, who came from a financial background. And all these uh, key players involved in the big decision-making at that time, which which was when you had great success on the pitch and great success off it in terms of the move. It was a blend of people who all had strong opinions, who were all prepared to air them, and in the end, they always used to make decisions by um, reaching a unanimous verdict in the end. Now we've got a different situation where there's one guy who's going to be largely responsible for the bulk of decision-making. How much he leans on the other board members is highly debatable, but he doesn't really need to. Um, So we're clearly due for a change because, obviously... um, it's not going to be a whole bunch of people with different ideas bringing their thoughts to the table and yeah. thrashing it out until they come to what they think is the best decision for Arsenal Football Club. Sure. I mean, what what strikes me maybe is that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about David Dean and, you know, him returning to the club. And for me, given what happened, it, it really doesn't seem likely at all. But what there is, perhaps, when you talk about all the... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Those different blend of, of skills and things that people bring to the table. Um, we've got legal, we've got marketing, we've got financial. Uh, what we don't necessarily have is somebody specialising in the, in the football side of things, in maybe the way that David Dean did. We know that Ivan Gazidis is a great negotiator when it comes to contract negotiations. And I, I listen to you and I listen to uh, Philippe Claire on the Gunnar podcast and, and uh, Tim Payton talking about how involved Arsene was in stuff that maybe he shouldn't be involved in. So maybe the the gap there is this football person that uh, a director of football, somebody like that, 
to come in, take a little bit of pressure off Arsene? Because was it Tim who made the point that Arsene says he's never worked as hard? But maybe that's because he's doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing. Well, he definitely does more than everybody else. Um, you know, and people do make the comparison with Ferguson, who delegates massively, uh, as well as changing his coaching staff on quite a regular basis. But more often than not, even just looking at the everyday life at the training ground, when he goes in in the morning, he sits and watches while someone else takes training sessions. That's not our sense way. So he's taking every training session that he possibly can, um, as well as obviously trying to have his hand on involved with the economic side, with the transfers, with the negotiations. He sort of almost does three jobs. Mm. Um, and, you know, you wonder if in the current um, it's a state of football, that's just too much for one man, however talented he might be, especially Ron Stubborn man. So, you know, it's, it, it would be really fascinating if Kroenke and his team, and bear in mind quite a lot of his guys have sort of been in there already and, and so they know how the club works, but if he was to decide um, that that's an area that needs to be changed. Um, most people who take over a new company analyse uh, its structure and the people in it and see if they need to streamline or if they need to extend in certain areas. Um, it would probably be very useful if that was to happen now because maybe it's it's overdue to look at the system and see if it's working and see what, what changes can be made to help everybody concerned. He doesn't strike me as a guy um, that's going to make a great deal of waves in the very short term. Um, and obviously has faith in Arsene Wenger, the board, uh, the uh, the past board uh, had faith in Arsene Wenger. And I assume that any future board will, will retain that faith um, in as much as they can based on what happens between now and the end of the season. Do you feel that perhaps uh, the new owner has put or will put a little bit more pressure on Arsene Wenger to deliver? in terms of silverware, because ultimately, regardless of the comments that he makes about what defines success, for any football fan, success is a trophy. Will it put more pressure on him to do that, or will it allow him, not necessarily to to um, move into a comfort zone, knowing that he's got the backing of a man who isn't maybe willing to make changes straight away? Well, I think the key there is what you said, for, you know, for any fan, the trophies is how you measure success. Well, is Stan Kroenke a fan? Um, mm. you'd like to think so but in the end he's an investor first and foremost so his priorities are not the same as um, uh, you or I or, or the listeners uh, his priority is a well-run club that is um, going to be a, a, a fantastic investment for him trophies you'd like to imagine is part of that because obviously if you've got success on the field, that has a great knock-on effect financially as well. Let's move to uh, football. And at the weekend, uh, Arsenal won their first game for since uh, February, their first league game against Blackpool. And uh, I don't know, it summed up Arsenal. Uh, Blackpool started well. Arsenal got on top, scored two goals, could have, could have scored a few more, um, let one in, went to absolute pieces against a uh, Blackpool side that you know really, really worked very hard and fair play to them. And then got the third goal that maybe they haven't got in, in previous games in, in this campaign. It really did sum up everything about the way this Arsenal team plays and, and what you can expect when you see them. Look, I think in the end, given what had gone before it, you, you sort of don't care. I mean, in an ideal world, <laughs> Arsenal would have gone and won 6-0 and everybody would have played brilliantly and Jens Lehmann would have looked 
you know, like he'd rolled back a hundred years and he, he, suddenly the, the defence would have clicked in a way you never thought possible. But that, mm. that ain't going to happen. The priority was to just get a damn win under the belt. And um, I think in the end, you don't, you know, when you're desperate for a win, you don't really care how it comes about. Um, and in a way, if it's a sort of bridge to uh, between the pretty disappointing period before and between this last part of the season, which probably won't bring what everybody wants, but you can at least hope brings a jolly good fight and some positive signs, then it also helps it's, it's, you know, that, that you're looking to some key players coming back. Obviously, a few key players came back in time for the Blackpool game, but if you, if you do get the defensive reinforcements that have been mooted with Chesney and Jura coming back, um, certainly going to put Arsenal in a in a better position for the games upcoming, and and you you know they can only hope to find a bit a bit more sort of form and flair at the same time. Mm. I mean, coming up uh, on Sunday, Liverpool, and then midweek Spurs, uh, and two games that Arsenal have got to win, and really not easy games at all. The returns of uh, Chesney and Juru, I think, will be quite crucial uh, because they do provide a bit more. Uh, defensive stability, and I think on the back of defensive stability, you you can attack better. Absolutely. Uh, uh, look, let's let's not kid ourselves. Anything less than six points doesn't even put you in a position to have you know be down on your knees and pray for mm. help from elsewhere or for anything else to happen. Uh, and they are given if you look at the last sort of six weeks form rather than the last games form, then you wouldn't be highly optimistic about getting six points from these two two matches um but it's as i said all the people coming back arsenal do have quite a good record at home against liverpool um and the tottenham game you know obviously i guess arsenal will be hoping that uh, apart from the obvious when you play tottenham and you expect everybody to give absolutely everything anyway uh perhaps tottenham might have that slight post champions league hangover feeling that Arsenal know about for most of the last 15 years so <laughs> you know it's it's not always the easiest thing to get out of the Champions League and perhaps Arsenal might be able to turn around to some of the top players and go yeah we know how you feel guys been there before a few times more than once yeah alright well <laughs> let's hope that's the case can we uh, finally touch on uh, Cesc Fabregas who are 23 yeah, years let's. of age yeah let's let's end this we're heading upwards Sesk has played 300 games. The appearance against Blackpool was his 300th for Arsenal Football Club at, at 23 years of age, which by any standards is a remarkable achievement. But to do it with the, uh, the level of consistency that he's shown from coming into the team as a 16-year-old is just incredible. He's an exceptional player. He's a pretty exceptional guy. Um, and contrary to some people's opinion, I'd actually argue he's not a bad captain either. Um, I think that Arsenal have been amazingly lucky to have Sesk, and in some ways Sesk's been pretty lucky to have Arsenal, uh, because as everybody knows, I think if he'd have still been at Barcelona, he certainly wouldn't have 300 games. He might have had a few, and he'd probably have some more medals, but um, he wouldn't have had the um, depth of experience and the capacity to make himself probably into one of the top, top players in the game. Um, so it's been it's been on the whole, I'd say, a pretty wonderful marriage, um, although probably Sesk is entitled to tell us it. It could have been a bit a bit glitzier with a few more, a few more rewards. <laughs> uh, but he, I just think that every 
it was it was absolutely massive to keep hold of Cesc last summer for the club. Um, everybody knows it's going to be a battle every summer, uh, and we don't know how many more summers Arsenal will manage to hang on to him. Obviously, again, that's one of the key interesting things with Kroenke coming in. Uh, whether there's going to be a different ability to to have the annual flight to keep the best players um, and a different approach, and that I think will be linked with how many top players come in as well as a sort of sign of intent to to the likes of Sesk. Um, so we wait to see how that develops. But in the meantime, I think everybody really should say a massive congratulations to Sesk and thank him for really having been a, a fantastic servant to the club. It's been lovely to see him develop as well. It's it's unusual to get a really, really, truly great player and see them from when they're mm-hmm. literally, you know, should be at school <laughs> to turning into a, you know, in his case, a World Cup winner and a, a, a top man. So, yeah. All right. Stuff. Okay, Amy, we better leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. Cheers indeed to Amy. We'll try and have her back on the show before the end of the season and hopefully, hopefully with something to celebrate. Uh, before we look ahead to the game on Sunday and the game in midweek and two very big games they are, here's this guy. It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner. I'm deadly. Hello there, I'm Mick Benner and I'm the greatest striker that ever lived. I'm better than Davor Suke, Rudy Vula, Kareka and Daly and Atkinson. It gave me great pleasure this week to see Jens Lehmann back in goal for Arsenal. It reminded me of the time when I was pressed into emergency service. Almunia was late for training because the ghost in his house had kept him up all night. Fabianski was rehearsing for his role in Death of a Salesman. Chesney, he'd broken both his arms. And Manone, well, he was off wiping Chesney's ass. There's that mystery solved for you. So during training, Arsene Wenger said, Oh, McBenor, you are the greatest striker that ever lived, but could you go and goal? Sure thing, Arsene Wenger, I said. And I stood up to all the strikers, and they hit them left, and I dived left, and I saved it. And they hit them right, and I dived right, and I saved it. I stayed in the middle, I jumped high and low, not a single goal went in. And they were like, Oh, McBenor, McBenor, not only are you the greatest striker that ever lived, you're the greatest goalkeeper. And that's a fact. There was only one player whose shots I couldn't save. Every single one of them hit the post. That player, Cabadiawara. It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner. I'm deadly. So two massive games coming up this week, starting on Sunday against the Mug Smashers, who will be, well, not on top of the world, but surely confidence boosted by a 3-0 win over Manchester City at the start of the week. Now, Manchester City were were crap. Let's face it, on the night, they were absolutely shite. And uh, they have Tevez out injured, but still, they were shite. And Liverpool were quite good, but Man City were shite. And we need to be not as shite as Man City, because if we're as shite as Man City, Liverpool will win. But if we're not as shite as Manchester City, I think we've got enough to turn those mug smashers over. The team news uh, for the weekend is that there are possible returns for Chesney, Juru, Song, and... um, uh, Oh yeah, Danielson. 
Sorry, it wasn't really registering with me as a, a, a great thing. Sorry to Nielsen fans, but there it is. Anyway, those four could return. Um, the two most important, I suppose, are, are Chesney and, and Juru. Uh, Song, of course, important, but Chesney can go in goal because Almuni is going to be out still. Otherwise, it's going to be Jens. And uh, Johan Juru, well, he'll slip back into the center of the defense. And um, stats show that when we have Juru in defense, I don't think we've lost a game since 1862 or something like that. Anyway, so they're two big important players to get back. And uh, it's going to be a tough task. Then, of course, we have to go to White Hart Lane. And as Amy said, they could well be suffering from a Champions League hangover. We know how that goes. On the other hand, they've been knocked out of the Champions League, which will hurt. They don't have a game this weekend, which gives them a rest. And then they'll be all like, well, what better way to take out our Champions League frustrations than on Arsenal? They would like to think that. So... These two games, in terms of where we are as a team and what hope we have of uh, winning the title, slim and all as it is, it's still there just at this moment in time. These two games are just huge. Six points from six has got to be the way. I know United, um, they're playing Everton, I think, at the weekend. I don't expect Everton to do a whole lot, seeing as pretty much all their players are out injured. And United are on that kind of, well, we'll just roll on and win games kind of a run. So really big, big games. But the uh, the win against Blackpool hopefully has restored a little bit of the confidence. And generally speaking, this team has managed to get itself up for, for big games this season, particularly at home. A bit of the old uh, Chelsea spirit would do wonders on Sunday. We've got to be quick and sharp and aggressive and press and do all those things. And then on Wednesday, we've just really got to kick the fuck out of Spurs. Because last season... It was towards the end of last season as well, maybe a little bit later. But uh, that guy who's never played another game for them since scored that goal. You know, the one where Almunia went, that's a good shot. Uh, There's a good shot. Oh, look, it's in. Then he put his hands up. So um, we need a bit of revenge for that. And we certainly need some revenge for what happened at the Grove earlier in the season. 2-0 up at halftime. Everything's hunky-dory and rosy. And then at the end, it's 3-2 to them. And that's not good. So... We should demand revenge. Swift and bloody and painful revenge at that too. And that should drive the team. They've got their motivation already. They know they have to win these games. But use the fact that Spurs did that to us at home. At home. And made us all very unhappy. Use that as extra motivation. And if you need extra motivation to beat Liverpool, remember, they smashed my mug. Anyway, let's uh, keep fingers crossed that everything goes well. Um, That's about that for this week's Arscast. It's up nice and early, so if you're an early bird, I hope it's uh, taking you to work well. Um, Talk to you on next week's show. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
In a move that has shocked the world of association football, Arsenal today announced that it had been sold to an American for a fee of £7,000. New chairman Randy Hillwood said, Get the fuck out of here, you fucking fuck. The club's new emblem, an eagle which shits bombs, will be unveiled at the new stadium on Saturday with special guest Metro Man Randy Savage. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 